Welcome to the Redemption Church Podcast. We exist to become witnesses to God's new creation so that every man, woman, and child has a daily encounter with Jesus. We believe that as a family of servant missionaries, we are empowered to participate in God's story because of the good news that King Jesus is making all things new. We're going to be continuing our Advent series today. We're going to be in Luke 1. You can begin turning there in your Bibles now. Those of you who don't know, maybe you've been with us for a little bit. Uh, Advent literally means the arrival. You guys can stand right up here. We're going to have this passage read for us in just a second. Advent means the arrival. But the past arrival of Jesus and the future arrival of Jesus. So we have been in a series looking at that. So today we're going to hear a portion of the Christmas story read for us by Sam and Emily. And what we're going to do is we're going to have each of them alternate some different passages, starting in Luke 1 and verse 26. All right, guys. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your room and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be accounting, let it be according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Oh, sorry. In those days, Mary arose, went with haste into the hill country, to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed, with a loud cry, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation, and he 
He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Powerful passage. This morning, we're going to be continuing to look at the shock and the threat that the true story of Christmas brings to us. Often we think Christmas is just about babies and mangers and angels. But no, this morning, we're going to be looking at how Christmas confronts us, sometimes even in visceral ways. And so today, what we're going to be looking at is the Christmas story in terms of Mary's own journey of faith towards God. So let's pray. Jesus, we do thank you for already how you have met us this morning. And now I ask God that as we look at your word, that you, Jesus, through your spirit, would open our eyes to see you. God, I do pray for every man and woman and child here, that they would not hear the mere words of a man, but that you, Spirit, would be speaking into their hearts speaking to their soul, speaking to their minds so that they can comprehend the depths and the lengths and the power of your love for us, the fact that Emmanuel has come and has shown us his love. So Jesus, I ask for your help. Even this morning as I was scrambling to get ready and I thought, well, if God can speak through a donkey, he can speak through me. So I ask God for strength and courage to speak today and that we, your people, would see and know your love. Jesus' name, amen. As I already mentioned in our series, we've been looking at what Christmas means, but this morning we want to look at how do we receive? How do we receive what Jesus brings to us? And what we're going to see is that Mary herself is a model of responsive Christian faith, of how do we respond to what God has done. Mary is going to show us this. And as we've already been seeing, there's two ways to respond. There's no middle of the road. You either receive Jesus as the Lord that he has come to be and is, or you reject Jesus. There is no third way of, well, I mean, I don't hate him, but I'm not going to give him my whole life. There is no option for that. Again, Christmas is confronting us. It is even threatening our attempts at autonomy. So this morning, let's examine Mary's response to God coming and speaking to her. What we see right away is that Mary responds with a growing and a thoughtful faith. Think about this. Does Mary just immediately say, okay, got it. God, thanks for the message. I'm going to follow you. What does she do? She questions It says she's troubled. It says she asked questions. She tries to add this up and be like, wait a minute. This doesn't make sense. This does not seem rational to me. How often, if we were all to pull ourselves with a show of hands, how often do you think faith means I just need to turn off my logic and just dumbly believe in God? Friends, that is not what faith is about. We often think that people back in Bible times were just kind of dumb. You know, their IQ was a little lower than us. Friends, they were not dumb. They were responsive. If you look at different examples when God or an angel appears to somebody, 
They're not met with just simple, dumb obedience. They're met with fear. They're met with questioning. They're met with, this doesn't really seem to make sense. Scripture shows us that people of faith asked questions, that they wrestled with doubting if God is real. So we should see here that Christmas and even the response of Mary is an invitation to the skeptic. It's an invitation to the one who would have questions. And again, this is where we even begin to journey. And some of us, maybe if you grew up in the Christian faith, you don't understand this. Doubt can be either bad or it can be very, very good. Often we just think, oh, I have doubts about God. I'm a bad person. Friend, what are your doubts leading you to? Are they leading you to questioning or are they leading you to closing off yourself? Some doubt leads us into seeking answers, and some doubt is a defense against the reality of answers. What kind of doubt do you have in your mind? Doubt can be a sign of a closed mind or of an open mind. Mary's doubt is leading her somewhere. She's not just saying, I'm gonna reject what God is saying. So you could say in a sense that Mary's faith grew in stages. Because even if you look at how she initially responds to then by the end, when she's with her cousin Elizabeth, she is singing this song of God's power and greatness. So her faith grew in stages, you could say. And if we're honest, isn't that how our faith often works? We very rarely have these like mountaintop moments where everything is secure and we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God is real, that he's promised to be with us. No, we often grow in faith in stages. And this is really critical for us to understand, friends, because if we don't recognize this, we will harshly judge people whose faith journey looks different than ours. One author I read this week said, it is deadly and dangerous to standardize Christian experience. To say, oh, well, look at their journey. They're stumbling, they're faulting, they're failing in their faith. Well, my experience with Jesus is the model. My experience with Jesus is the standard. Their experience looks different than mine, so they must be wrong. Friends, that is deadly and dangerous because we have to realize that faith grows in stages. And if we don't realize this, we can be absolutely crippled because we'll compare ourselves to people whose faith journey looks different than ours. Some of us maybe arrogantly assume, oh, well, I have faith because look at how I responded. I must be a Christian. Friend, if that's your response of how strong your faith might be, you might need to ask, do you really understand the faith? And if you're over here saying, oh my gosh, I'm just racked and crippled with doubt, like, oh my gosh, look at all these people. Their faith looks so different than mine. Friend, it is deadly and dangerous to compare your faith journey to others. Faith grows in stages depending on who you are, depending on how Jesus is working in you. So for some of us, maybe we need to repent of how we've judged others in their faith journey. And for some of us, you need to take courage. He is working in you. Probably not in ways you think or would want, but he is still working. And the reason faith looks so different for different people is because true faith is something wherein we are acted upon by something outside of us. That means that a real journey of faith in Jesus means you recognize I'm not ultimately the one in the driver's seat. Someone else is leading this. And that's what Mary sees next. 
that she responds in surprise and wonder when she realizes God's working in this. So let's look at secondly. Mary responds in surprise and wonder. Look at her song in verses 46, 47, and onwards. Look at the words she's using. She is in awe and in wonder. Mary's not saying, whew, glad I, glad I found God because God's going to help me out. God is going to help me get places now because I found God. No, Mary is amazed that the God of the universe would come for her. That this type of thing could happen even to her. That God had picked her. Friends, do you see your life this way? Is there a mark of almost surprise and shock that, holy cow, I can't believe he'd pick me. Me of all people. A disciple of Jesus? What are you talking about? No way. Friends, this mark of surprise and shock is something I want us to consider. Look at this quote from Tim Keller. He says this, I would go so far as to say that this perennial note of surprise, meaning this ongoing, recurring note of being surprised, is the mark of anyone who understands the essence of the gospel. Because if you think about it, what is Christianity? If you think Christianity is mainly going to church, believing a certain creed, living a certain kind of life, then there will be no note of wonder or surprise about the fact that you are a believer. He says, if someone asks you, are you a Christian? You'll say, of course I am. I work hard. It's hard, but I'm doing it. I'm putting in the work. Why do you ask? Christianity is, in this view, something done by you. And there's no astonishment about being a Christian. However, if Christianity is something done for you and to you, and in you, then there is a constant note of surprise and wonder. Like Mary had. Wait, are you serious? Me? Like, God, do you know my past? Do you know my struggles? Do you know, like, do you know what kind of person I am, God? Like, are you sure you want me on your team? Friends, I would really encourage you, some of us more than others maybe, need to chew on this quote. And if this does not resonate with you, ask the Spirit to break you of the kindness of Jesus to come for you. What do we see next about Mary? She responds in surprise and wonder, but she also responds in uncompromising surrender. She takes this posture of obedience and surrender. She knows that because God has come for her, that she can trust him. But what does that mean, to respond in uncompromising surrender? I mean, that's kind of like, that kind of seems out there, right? Like, what does that actually mean in our day-to-day life? How do we respond to God in uncompromising surrender? I have two questions for us to consider. One, are you willing to take God at his word? That means if God says it, do you believe it? Two, are you willing to trust in God in anything he sends into your life, whether you like it or not? And if you're like me, you're like, crap. 
failed on both accounts. I regularly struggle with both of those, as I'm sure you do. I struggle to believe that God will do what he says. I struggle to say, God, I don't really want to surrender to you in these ways. I don't really trust that you are who you say you are, that you will do what you've promised to do. But friends, we often struggle to answer those questions in the positive because we forget who God is, and that makes surrender so hard. Because friends, if I can be honest with you, probably almost all of us have a really puny view of God. You have a really puny view of what God is like. I know I regularly do. We forget that this little baby born in a livestock feeding trough is the one who holds the galaxies in place. I heard one author describe it this way. I put this quote up. Let's just take a little excursus on the reality of the one who holds all things in place. Then we'll come back to those questions. If the distance between the earth and the sun, which is 93 million miles, which by the way, our minds are blown right there, 93 million miles. The distance between the earth and the sun, which by the way, we can see the sun, it's 93 million miles away, was no more than the thickness of a sheet of paper, which I brought, sheet of paper. If this represented 93 million miles, then the distance from the earth to the nearest star would be a stack of papers 70 feet high. That's just the closest star, friends. The diameter of our galaxy, our Milky Way system, would be a stack of papers 300 miles high. 93 million times 300 miles. That's our galaxy. But keep in mind that there are more galaxies in the universe than we can number. There are more, it seems, than dust specks in the air or grains of sand on the seashores. Now, if Jesus Christ holds all of this together with the word of his power, is he the kind of person that you would say, hey, God, can you help me out in life? Hey, God, can you... Be my assistant. Hey, God, I got some prayers I got to throw up to the big man upstairs. Can you, you got me covered? Friends, we struggle to surrender because we forget who God is. That according to Hebrews, he is one who holds all things together with the word of his power. And by the way, this picture, obviously I'm no astronomy expert, but this is a picture of what's called the Carina Nebula. This is a picture of something from our Milky Way galaxy that's 7,500 light years away from Earth. It's pretty wild. That's still like within our relatively small galaxy. So now, let's go back to those two questions. Can we take him at his word? Can we trust that even in what we don't understand, he actually could be working in? Friends, if Jesus really is the one who holds all of this together, do we really want to just treat him like he's our consultant to help us make life better? Friends, you, you can surrender to somebody like this. You could know that somebody like this really has your back. Mary 
responds in surrender. Look at verses 54 and 55. Go, look at those verses. Mary can respond in surrender because she knows who God is. Look at 54. Mary says, He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Mary alludes back to Abraham, which conjures up all that powerful imagery of the story of God, which conjures up how Scott walked us through the genealogy last week. Do you guys remember that? We read all of those names marching through the story of God and how God entered that story. Mary's doing the same thing when she alludes to Abraham. Mary here is a new Abraham for us. She is acting with eyes of faith like Abraham. Does anybody remember who Abraham is. You might be like, okay, where are we going this? We're talking about Mary, now we're talking about Abraham. Remember Abraham? He was the guy really early in the story who God said to him, hey, I'm gonna make your family great through you and your family. I'm gonna save the whole world, but here's what I want you to do. Just pack up and start walking in this direction, and I'll tell you later where you're gonna go. What? God said to him, salvation will come through you, but first... Quit your job, pack up, and start walking this way. Just, does anybody feel like that is your life? Like we often think, oh, wow, look at Abraham. He's, he's so strong. Oh, yeah, God used him. He was a patriarch. Yeah, he's part of the story of God. Friends, that's our life. That God says, hey, here's what I want you to do. Everything you've been comfortable with, go over here now. Pack up your bags and start walking this way. Does anyone feel like that's your season of life right now. Maybe physically, maybe emotionally, maybe spiritually, you are journeying somewhere you don't know where you are going. Or for some of you, maybe you feel like you've already just been plopped into the wilderness. Like, God, I don't know what you're doing. I don't know why I'm here. Kind of just waiting for you to show up. The author of Hebrews, which happens later, after the church has been founded, one of the writers to the churches talks about Abraham, and he says this, Hebrews eleven eight. By faith, Abraham, when called to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. That's like a life verse right there. I do not know where I am going. Didn't you feel like Abraham that you are journeying somewhere and you have no idea where God is taking you. And just to be clear, this isn't like Abraham saying like, oh crap, I have no idea where I'm going. I gotta get my stuff together and figure this out, but oh well, I have no idea where I'm going. No, this is not, that's carelessness. Abraham is saying, God, I have no idea what in the world you're doing. Because God says to him, I'm gonna tell you later. I'm gonna tell you later where you are going. Mary, like Abraham, and like us, had plans for what her life was going to be. Think about that. This young girl, a lot of commentators think that she was probably just 15 or 16, was pledged to be married to a guy. She, we don't know what was going through her mind, but we can imagine that Mary was probably thinking, okay, going to marry this guy Joseph. He's the single carpenter guy in town going to settle into our new little clay house. 
I'm going to probably help my husband with the carpentry business, maybe have some babies. And then God says, nope, I have some other plans for you, Mary. Do you feel like God is wrecking your plans? Do you feel like God is wrecking your plans for how you thought your life was going to go? Are you able to see that like Abraham and like Mary, that God might actually not be wrecking your plans, but might actually be calling you to trust and surrender even when you cannot see yet where he is sending you? Friends, this is ultimately what it means to put your trust and surrender in Jesus. For some of us, maybe for the first time. For some of us, maybe for the millionth time where you again today have to say, Jesus, I need to put my faith in you today. Following Jesus, it's not a negotiation. It's not like a gym membership that you can check into when it's convenient. It's not just, you know, I come to church to get my spiritual needs met. Following Jesus Trusting God, like Mary, like Abraham, is surrender. It means you know I'm not the real driver here. So, how does this translate into our life today? If we know that if we commit ourselves to God and seek to follow him, then we do know that God is for us. We know that God is for us. We can know his love, that he's generous, that he will provide even when we don't know how. We can know that even when we underestimate how God will work, does he stop working? No, he's still working for us. I think maybe some of us need to, maybe that's the word for you today. Again, I don't write sermons like, oh, here's the word of the day. But for some of you, maybe the word underestimating might be what you are thinking as it relates to you and God, that you are underestimating what he might be doing. So we can trust that God is for us and that he seeks to provide us, but what is our real anchor for trust? Like just some general, vague sense, well, I know God says he's faithful. He's faithful to Mary, right? He's faithful to Abraham, right? I mean, he's kind of taken care of me. Friends, what if, like, what if life takes a dark turn? What if all of the normal structures you thought you had suddenly get kicked out from under you? What's your trust then? Well, he said he's going to provide right. That kind of starts to get vague and fuzzy when life starts to get hard. When you start to lose your everyday confidence in the things that have always worked for faith. Where ultimately do we have to ground our faith? Our real anchor, friends, has to be in what Jesus has already done. Our real anchor to know that we can trust and surrender is because we see that Jesus has already done that on our behalf. That's our only anchor. That's the only thing that will hold when the crappiest, hardest seasons of life move in on you. Because as we celebrate Advent, as we celebrate the fact that Jesus has arrived and is going to arrive again, we know he's faithful because of why he came. Jesus came to fully embody Mary's own words of surrender. If you look at verse in Luke 1:38, where Mary says, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me according to your word. 
her son, Jesus, would say years later, Father, not my will, but yours. The mother of Jesus offered up her body to God's service out of surrender. And years later, Jesus himself would offer up his body for me, for you, for all who would trust, for all who would receive him as the Lord that he is. And this is why we can trust when we see what he's already done, what he's already accomplished for us. So friends, you can trust God because you can see in Jesus somebody who's already surrendered to God on your behalf, for you, fully knowing the risk because he was that committed to us, because Jesus was that committed to making us participants in what God is doing in the world. So this week, in this season of life, Going into the Christmas week right now, maybe even with a lot of disappointments, maybe with a lot of darkness still, maybe with not much joy and twinkle in your life, let me ask you, in what areas are you tempted to give up on trusting God? In what areas do you feel that you've been trusting too long and you feel like giving up? For some of us, maybe it's waiting for a spouse, waiting for a child, waiting for a change in circumstances. I want to ask you, is it possible that in these very things that God is working his greatness and his glory and his Jesus-embodied surrender deeper and deeper into your soul? Are you open to being surprised at what he might be doing? Christmas meets us with shock, with disillusionment, but often with surprise at like, oh my gosh, God, you're doing these things that I didn't even know you were doing. So Redemption Church, I hope this week you have a very merry and happy Christmas. Thank you for listening to the Redemption Church podcast. To learn more about our kingdom ministry located in Chesapeake, Virginia, visit weareredemption.org.